0: Thanks so much for listening to Dr. Mike's podcast from Compass Church in Salinas. Today he's talking about resilience after failure. Everyone has failures, but the key is to bounce back. And to do that, you need resilience. I'm sure many of us have experienced a failure that was discouraging. Well, here's Dr. Mike to encourage you. Does anyone here need to bounce back? after some failure you've had in your life. And maybe it is as a parent that you have failed and you're flat on your face. Or maybe it's in your marriage you've had a series of failures. Or financially you've made some bad choices and you need to bounce back. Everyone has failures, everyone. Just different kinds of failures. And when we do fail, talent and IQ and education and net worth mean nothing if we don't have the resilience to bounce back after a failure. Grit. Resilience after a failure to bounce back. It's one of the most important things in life to have. And a lot of people don't have grit. It's the difference between being a victim and being a victor. It's the difference. I think many of us do not realize that Jesus had failure after failure. Oh, with nature, he had nothing but a string of successes because nature obeyed his every word. And so there were miracles in nature. But with human nature, Jesus' record was a lot more checkered. He had a lot of failures because people resisted him. Most people did not, in Jesus' day, have miracles done in their life because they resisted him. And therefore, there were no miracles. For example, in Mark's Gospel in chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus, early on in his ministry, went back to his hometown of Nazareth for the purpose of preaching and and, uh, healing. But when he got there, the people rejected him. And in fact, they took him to a cliff on the edge of town because it's high up on a mountain ridge and tried to push him over and kill him. Every time I take a tour to Israel, we go to Nazareth. And we stand in the very spot. There's only one cliff like this. We stand in that very spot. And imagine what Jesus must have felt like. As his own hometown tried to push him over the cliff. Mark records this. They took offense at him. He could not do any miracles there. Offended by Jesus. Mad at Jesus preventing him from doing any miracles. You could write the word failure across this passage about Nazareth and you'd have it right because he failed in his own hometown. And it's only the beginning of a string of failure after failure for him. Do you know that his own brothers and sisters thought he was a fake they rejected him it was not until after the miracle of the resurrection that they believed in him and his very disciples betrayed him when he was arrested and crucified he had spent three years building into them the truth that one day he would die purposely for our sins he would be crucified but he would rise from the dead but they didn't believe him Three years invested in them, and in the end, they didn't believe him. They hid during his crucifixion out of fear. Failure with his closest friends and disciples that's failure. Try to put yourself in Jesus' shoes. How would you have reacted if you were him? Gotten angry, bitter, revengeful. Those are common reactions when people misbehave like that and hurt us. But if we had reacted that way, we would have made ourselves a victim instead of a victor. This is so important for us to know. Our reaction makes us either a victim or a victor your reaction to people around you and what they do and to your circumstances, you're in total control about whether you become a victim or victor because you can choose your reaction. I wonder if anybody could honestly title a biography of Jesus with the word failure. His teaching turned the world upside down. He inspired fantastic art and architecture and literature through the centuries. And he spawned many, many charitable groups that have relieved the suffering of the world in his name. And he's transformed person after person, including many of us, and broken chains in our life. Could we write failure across his biography? Because he had so many failures? That's what people in his time said. He was a failure, and that's why they crucified him. But what should be the title of Jesus' biography with all of his failures is this. Resilience after failure. Isn't that the resurrection? On Friday, did he not look like a complete failure? On Saturday, did he still not look like a complete failure? It was only on Sunday when he rose from the dead that he became a victor instead of a victim. That's the greatest act of resilience in history, isn't it? The resurrection, that's resilience. Pure grit he bounced back literally from the dead and turned deserters into disciples, cowards into into courageous people, and he turned the Roman world upside down after they had killed him. Resilience. Bouncing back after a string of failures. It's the key to all that Jesus did. Do you see that? It's the key to everything he did. And everyone needs it sooner or later. You need it. I need it. Really honestly, where in your life have you failed? And you need to bounce back. You need resilience after your failure. Where is that for you? Well, how do we get this kind of resilience? Well, first, if you're going through hell, keep moving forward. If you're going through hell, keep moving forward. Nazareth was just a bad experience for Jesus, a failure. His preaching failed to convince everyone, anyone. So what did Jesus do the next morning after they tried to push him over a cliff? He went to the next town and kept on preaching. That's resilience. He looked for more responsive, open-minded people. He got up and tried again. He kept preaching. He looked for people who are willing to be helped, who are willing to learn something new. Sometimes grit is simply getting up the next morning and trying again. That's what Jesus did. I've been a Raiders fan all my life. I thought there were only three of us. Now there's about five of us. I can tell you that in this church, it is very lonely to be a Raiders fan. (laughs) But even if you're a rabid 49er fan, if you know football, you know that one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history was Kenny Stabler, the snake. He was colorful. He was rebellious. But he picked apart defenses and led the Raiders to victory after victory. But he had plenty of interceptions. One of the classic stories in football is after a particularly bad game of interceptions, a reporter interviewed Stabler, and he said, Kenny, what do you think about after you throw an interception? And Kinney, who was always a man of few words, said, throw deep. Throw deep. Keep throwing for the touchdown. Everyone who has resilience does that. Babe Ruth was asked what he thought about after striking out. He said, hitting a home run the next time I'm up. I love that. That's what it means to refuse to be a victim. Think about hitting a home run the next time you're up instead of striking out. Peter Drucker, the great business guru, in his uh, book, Effective Executives, writes, I would never promote a person who didn't have some failures. Really? You look for failures in a person's track record? Yes. Drucker said, if you're not having some failures, you're standing too close to the target. You're standing too close to the target. Winston Churchill, who had many, many failures. In fact, there was a period of over 10 years where he described it as living in the wilderness. Nobody wanted to be around him. People thought he was dead politically. My favorite quote from him is this. I go from failure to failure with enthusiasm. That's why he bounced back from failure to failure with enthusiasm. Honestly, this is one way to read the life of Jesus. He had a string of failures with human nature. But Jesus went from failure to failure with enthusiasm. Every day he got up and tried again. That day in Nazareth was like walking through hell. Wasn't it? The pain of his own family and hometown trying to push him over a cliff. He was walking through hell. But he kept on walking and preaching and trying to reach people. Honestly, who is Nazareth for you? What is Nazareth for you? You're walking through hell with them. Maybe it's your marriage or your health, or maybe one of your parents is resiliently negative and intrusive into your life, or one of your children is making really poor decisions, or maybe you have an in law who is just very difficult to be around. You're walking through hell. I can't imagine what that is for you, but I have been there. And I tell you, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward when you're going through hell. Decide to be a victor instead of a victim. Get up and try again. Einstein famously said, I'm not that smart, but I keep working on a problem longer than other people do. Resilience. I have to warn you, though, no one can do this for you. Your wife can't do this for you. Your husband can't do this for you. A friend can't do this for you. You know, baseball has designated hitters. Somebody with a lot of skills can go to the plate for you and take your swings for you. There are no designated hitters in life. You have to swing your own bat. No one can do this for you. Everyone has had failures, even Jesus. So take a tip from Jesus and throw deep. Think about hitting a home run. But above all, when you're walking through hell, don't buy property, (laughs) don't build a house. Keep on moving instead of laying down and being a victim. Keep on moving, because sooner or later you'll be out of it. Susie and I just returned from Colorado Springs and visiting Tegan and Juliet, three years old and one. And it was just nonstop laughs. I got tired from laughing. You see, Juliet has just turned one, and so she's trying to learn to walk. And it is a riot. She, an hour or more, we sit there and watch as she would stand up, wobble, fall down. Immediately stand up with a smile on her face, wobble, and fall down again, still with a smile on her face. And then stand up immediately again, and take a part of a step and fall down again, and get up immediately. All toddlers are optimists. Juliet keeps falling down, but she instantly pops up because she's optimistic that one day she's going to walk. Resilience. Listen to me. Every toddler knows that everything you want is on the other side of failure. It's on the other side of failure. That's why you need resilience after failure, to bounce back, because it's on the other side. Everything Juliet wants is on the other side of falling down, so she keeps bouncing up and trying again. You must follow her example. What is that for you? Where do you need to get back up? Secondly, failure does not mean you are a failure. Failure is merely feedback or an education on how you can improve. It's just feedback. Juliet knows that failure is not a person. It's just a happening. It's just an event. So there's no shame on her face as she falls down. That's what I really noticed. She didn't get grim. She kept that smile on her face because she wasn't feeling shamed because she failed to take a step. She takes it, failure, as an education about learning to walk, not a shameful thing. I can't say this strongly enough. Failure is just a learning opportunity, which means... If we don't learn from failure, the lesson from failure, life will make us repeat the lesson until we learn it. We will repeat the lesson until we learn it. And a lesson gets more painful the more often we have to repeat it, doesn't it? Surely some of us have had repeated failures And it's because we have been unwilling to do an autopsy on ourselves and learn from the mistakes we made. A woman repeatedly has her heart broken. Why? Because she keeps choosing the wrong men. Her picker screen is broken. She doesn't pick wisely if she refuses to do an autopsy on why she's so gullible and why she chooses the men she does, she's gonna keep having a broken heart because she'll just keep repeating the lesson till she learns it. And I know lots of women like that. It's the same thing in broken relationships, one broken relationship after another, but we refuse to do an autopsy so we have another one coming down the line All of life is like this. We must learn from failures and make adjustments because if we don't, life will make us repeat the same lesson until we learn it. And that's the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave us this sacrament as a chance to use our failures and feedbacks, face them square in the face, as an education, to do some admitting And to make some changes so we can start being a victor instead of a victim. So, this morning, honestly, do some self examination at the Lord's Supper about your failures, and especially about your reactions to people, because your reactions either make you a victor or a victim. Get bitter, get angry, get revengeful, you're a victim. The only choice to be a victor and to cut loose from that person is forgiving. That's just one example. You have to take responsibility for making yourself a victim and then make some adjustments and changes. That's the Lord's Supper. And third, decide not to allow critics to shame you about your failures. Don't let them shame you. Surely, many of us here have people who've tried to shame us because of failures in our life. Maybe it's the person you married who tries to use shame as a way of controlling you. Or maybe it's your father or mother. Even though you're grown and out of the house and on your own, they still try to shame you to control you. Maybe they've actually said to you, shame on you, shame on you. Jesus had plenty of critics who tried to shame him. Did you know at one point in Jesus' life, his critics called him satanic? They said he was the devil himself. You talk about trying to shame Jesus, to call him the devil? Jesus ignored them, and you should too. He didn't try to change the opinion of his critics because Jesus knew that if a person wants to be your critic, she or he won't let the facts stop them. If a person wants to be your critic, they will not let the facts stop them. So ignore them like Jesus did because it's a waste of time to try to change their mind. Another time in John chapter 6, Jesus is preaching to a huge crowd and they don't like his preaching. They're following him because, he, oh, he's multiplied bread and fish to feed 5,000 and he's done other miracles and they love the show. He's the greatest show going on in Israel. You know what? They, they like what Jesus can do for them. But when he starts to preach about what he wants them to do for him, They say, oh, that's a hard preaching. I don't like that. I don't want to do those things. And they left him. Verse 66 says, many left him. If it happened to Jesus, I bet it's happened to you. Someone left you because they thought you didn't measure up. Someone left you because you didn't do what they wanted you to do. Someone left you because they th- thought it was, the relationship was all about them and nothing about you. They left you despite all you did for them. Many of you have been in Jesus' shoes. Tucked away in Mark's account of Jesus' crucifixion, in chapter 15, verse 3 is this verse. The chief priests accuse Jesus, they're telling him all his failures, accuse Jesus of many things. So Pilate asked, Aren't you going to answer? But Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Why did Jesus not reply? Because a critic never lets the facts stand in the way of their criticism. And also because criticism often says more about the critic than it does about you. It's very important to realize. Jesus knew they were jealous. They were envious of how the crowds were responding to him and they wanted to tear him down. The Pharisees were an unhappy bunch of people and so they couldn't stand the joy of Jesus. They were controlling of other people, but Jesus refused to be controlled. So they criticized him. Sometimes criticism is valuable feedback. And sometimes it says more about the critic than you. You got to learn to know the difference. Know the difference. Don't believe everything your critics say. Jesus didn't, and neither should you. So if we learn anything from Jesus, it is that failure does not always mean you failed, that you did something wrong. And the reason we get this lesson from Jesus is he was sinless. Everything he did was right, and yet, he had a string of failures with people, convincing them to change. So, failure is not always our fault. Do you see what else that means? A failure is not always our fault. It means when you fail, don't beat yourself up. If you've got failures, stop beating yourself up. Everyone fails. And sometimes it's not your fault. I say that because my guess is that some of us are our own worst critic in life. For some of us here, we're harder on ourselves than anyone else is. We call ourselves names like loser, idiot, fool, ugly, Don't do that. Because you see, people who are hard on themselves always are hard on other people. You can always tell that. A person who's highly critical of themselves is always critical of other people. You know that for sure. Don't be that way. No one can be resilient if they're always hard on themselves and their own worst critic you cannot bounce back start noticing that the most important conversation any of us have every day is with ourselves it's in the head that's the most important conversation as you talk to yourself what i'm pleading for is us to start noticing what we say to ourselves through the day pay attention to the negative put downs that maybe some of us are constantly saying to ourselves, And instead of that negative sort of talk, give yourself grace, the grace Jesus gives you, grace. I'm afraid many Christians do not know what that means. Do you know about the story of Helen Keller? She was blind and deaf, and because of that, she could not learn vocabulary and could not communicate, so she was totally isolated. All she could do was grunt because she didn't know any words at all. And then along came a person, a master teacher, Annie Sullivan. And she began to work in Helen's life to try to teach her that there are words with content that give expression to what we're thinking. And the breakthrough came one day when she taught Helen her first word, water. And the way she did it was she took her hand and she put it under the faucet. And she turned the water on so it was flowing across her hand. And then she took her finger and spelled W-A-T-E-R. And Helen made the association water. And that was the pivot point in her life where she began to learn vocabulary. And she went on to graduate from Radcliffe College and lead this amazing life. We must learn the meaning of grace. Failure does not, is not shameful. It does not mean you're a failure. Get up and try again. Get up and try again. That's grace. That's the Lord's Supper. Instead of condemnation for our failures in life, what we find is love. Love and forgiveness and a new start. And I invite you to that today. Let me pray for you. Lord, we ask that you'd set aside these common elements for supernatural use and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us about our failures and help us to do an autopsy seriously so that we could learn and make changes and start to win more instead of lose. Help us today, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mike's podcast from Compass Church on South Main and Salinas and our newest location in Marina. All of us here hope you'll share this message with someone who needs encouragement and then subscribe to our podcast so you'll automatically get new episodes each week. God bless you and thanks for listening.